Well, before we jump into the uh, scripture here, uh, obviously a lot of us are touched by the events of the past week in the community and wanted to make you aware that at 6 p.m. tonight, there will be a special prayer service at First Presbyterian downtown, uh, the Tennessee Valley Presbytery, the consortium of churches of which Rock Creek is a part, has uh, convened this special service tonight at 6. So if you would like to join with other Christians uh, and concerned community members to voice your prayers uh, to God with one another, I encourage you to take advantage of that opportunity tonight. Uh, Jeremiah 29.7, you know, God told the Israelites when they were living in a place filled with strife and trouble to pray for the peace of the city. And it seems an appropriate time to do that. So why don't we just stop and I'll lead us in a prayer uh, here this morning. Father in heaven, we come to you. uh, To whom shall we turn? You are our help. You are our hope, especially in times of trouble. You are our refuge and strength. Father, we come to you this morning as your children, and we do pray that you would hear our spoken cries and yet the unspoken cries of this entire community. Father, we pray uh, this morning with uh, worried hearts, with troubled hearts, with confused hearts about the way this week has started uh, relative to what the week looked like when it began last week. Father, we come and we pray for uh, the families of the victims. We pray that, Father, you would be gracious and show yourself to be the God of all comfort to them. Father, they are certainly awaking to a new week with new realities that none of us would uh, desire for any. And so we pray, give them comfort, give them clarity uh, as they begin their week. Father, we pray for those still, uh, the wounded who've survived and are, are still healing. Father, not just the physically wounded, but even, the, Father, those who are just traumatized in different ways. Father, we pray, would you bring healing and wholeness? Father, we we pray that you would uh, bring peace to the city that is unsettled. Father, we pray that you would help us to once again be able to trust the people we pass in the grocery store and along the way. Uh, And Father, we pray that you would help us as the Church of Jesus Christ especially to be a positive, constructive, peace-bringing presence in this world. Father, we pray that as much as it is possible this morning, that we would be able to cast our cares upon you, believing that you do care for us and you will care for the needs we have set before you. And related to that, Father, you will enable us to focus upon you as you speak to us this morning through your word, that we would be able to have your voice be the voice which we hear, that we would gladly receive the word you have for us, that your spirit would empower us and indwell us and help us to walk in your word, to do as it says, and that, Father, we would love Jesus more as a result of having been here today. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Well, I consider myself a collector of sorts. Uh, Some people collect coins. Others collect beanie babies. Um, I collect friends. I'm not necessarily a good friend, but I collect friends. And I've been doing it for a number of years, partly as a result of having lived in a number of different cities throughout my life's journey. And I consider myself to have a pretty good collection of friends. And one of the things I enjoy doing most is traveling to visit my collection. 
to go and visit these little pieces I have accumulated over the years. But there's been a problem that has arisen over the last decade that I've noticed that my collection is not growing as fast as it used to and that I'm not being afforded the time to spend with my collection as I once did. And I finally have narrowed the problem down to one thing. Children, (laughs) particularly three, (laughs) my lovely blessings that the Lord has given me uh, in the form of children. That children, for some reason, (laughs) need your time and attention. (laughs) And the older they grow, the more you find yourself pouring your attention and energies into your kids. And even then, as you grow older, what you discover is that work requires more of you. It seems like every year. And so your workers requiring more of you, your kids, your families requiring more of you. And so almost without thinking through it, what happens is that your friends get pushed down the totem pole of priorities, that they get squeezed out to the edges. They're given that time that you're able to just pull together uh, at the end of a day or amidst the year. Now, as I thought about it, I thought, why is that? Why, why don't I just be real intentional about my time with friends? And here's what I've concluded. That I know what I get out of work. It's called money. <laughs> right? I know what I'm going to get, the output, the quantifiable outcome is going to be. There's going to be money. I even know when I think about investing time in my family, there's going to be a quantifiable output. It's called children and a legacy and grandchildren and all these things, right? I'm going to be able to enjoy this over the years. But as I think about my friendships, they don't just on face value have that sort of kind of quantifiable value you can place on them. You can't just say, this is exactly what I get out of spending time with my friends, right? In fact, I know that if I neglect my friends they're probably not going to need therapy for a number of years because I've neglected them, right? My children, they're probably going to need therapy because I spent time with them and because I didn't spend time with them. It's, it's very confusing. <laughs> I know that if I neglect my work, uh, there's going to be all sorts of ramifications that result as, uh, uh, because of that. that those, those consequences are very clear if I neglect work, if I neglect family. But the consequences aren't so clear if I neglect my friends. And, but this morning, as we see the scripture from Ecclesiastes, we're reminded that, that there actually is something about friendship that we have to be reminded of. That it's worth pursuing, it's worth possessing, it's worth treasuring and cultivating and keeping and guarding. That there's something about friendship that we weren't made to get out of work, that we weren't even made to get out of marriage and family, that there's this other slice of the pie, that to enjoy the good life, as Scripture says, is to enjoy it with friends. And in fact, I would take it a step further, that you and I cannot understand our relationship with God apart from friendship. That when we think of our relationship with God, the word picture that primarily comes to mind is a family word picture. We're his children. He is our father. We are brothers and sisters. And that is all very true. But let's not forget the scripture gives multiple word pictures for our relationship with God. And one of the most beautiful word pictures it gives is friendship. Friendship. 
The good news that God brings to us in Jesus Christ is this. I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. So what does it mean then? What does it mean to be a friend? And especially, what does it mean to be God's friend? Those are the two things we want to look at this morning, uh, basing off this passage and some other parts of Scripture. What does it mean to be a friend? And what does it mean to be God's friend? Well, the word friend itself, you want to know what it means? Just look at the word, the etymology of it. The word friend comes from the Greek word for love, philos, from which we get Philadelphia and a a number of words. But philos is the, the original term for friends from which we get it. And so the word friend simply means this. It is one who loves. That's what a friend is. A friend is someone who loves you. That's what a friend is. A friend is somebody who has, for whatever reason, entered into this relationship with you in which there is this mutual, even unstated love. You know, what's interesting about friendship is I find friendship to be very mysterious. It really is if you think about it. Because it's entirely voluntary, right? You're not forced into it. You chose to get into this relationship. It's entirely voluntary. And the scripture says that friendship can be as strong as the marriage relationship. As strong, in fact, there's even an example in the Bible of a friendship that was stronger than a marriage. And yet there are never vows spoken, right? There's never a ceremony in which you stand up in front of God and witnesses and pledge yourself to friends. But it happens even in an unspoken way. That there's this mysterious nature of friendship where you find yourself in this relationship with a person, typically of the same gender, and you enjoy uh, the commitment and all these things, but yet nothing is ever spoken about the nature of the relationship. It just happens. And so friendship, even in a mysterious way, is just someone in whom you share this loving relationship of sorts. And so in the Bible, and I think you'll see from experience, there are two chief qualities of a friend. Intimacy and loyalty, right? Those are the things that you find in friends. Intimacy and loyalty. Intimacy, you share things with each other. In fact, you may become friends with somebody because you shared a dorm room with them, right? Or you shared a van ride to Pennsylvania on a missions trip with them, right? You share things together. You, You may become friends with your siblings because you had to share things with them growing up. But you have a shared experience with these people. And that's why you are friends, But you also share things about your life with them, and they share things about their life that they don't share with others. And so there's an intimacy to friendship, but the second characteristic is loyalty. Loyalty. That you expect your friends to not just know you, but once they really get to know you, as we heard the description of hosting a fellow, (laughs) that they will stay with you and not move out. (laughs) You know, that they will stick with you for better and for worse. By the way, Typically, what disappoints us in friendship is that we usually find one of the characteristics and not the other, right? We find people who are very committed to us, but yet the relationship never experiences a certain depth of intimacy that you would hope it would. But maybe your relationship does experience a depth of intimacy with another person, but then that person moves. That things happen in life and you're cut off from that person. And so what we want, we don't always get, but to some degree or another, what we want out of friendship is intimacy and loyalty. Or to think about it in just a a sentence form, 
A friend is somebody who lets you in and refuses to let you go. That's a friend. A friend lets you in and refuses to let you go. Isn't that what the Bible says in Proverbs? A friend sticks closer than a brother. A friend loves at all times, right? This is what we want out of friendship. This is what the Bible says we should desire out of friendship, is intimacy and loyalty of that sort. By the way, I just noticed the clock is missing from the back. So I'm just going to take this as a sign from God that I'm just supposed to go for... So, anyways... (laughs) Um, by the way, the, the, the best picture we may have in our own uh, era of friendship comes to us in the form of Sam and Frodo, right? We love that story because we want that story. We want there to be a Sam who will love us no matter where the journey takes us, who will go with us no matter how awful the journey may get, right? We want somebody to look at us and say, you know, I can't carry the ring, but I can carry you. We want that. We want that. And unfortunately, I'm afraid many of us don't feel like that has been our experience necessarily. But that's what it means to be a friend. There's intimacy, a a shared experience, as Sam and Frodo have. But there's loyalty. They refuse to let each other go. But as you think about friendship from Ecclesiastes 4, just think about what it says here in these verses. What happens to you? What is the outcome? What's the output of friendship? Well, it says there, verse 9, you're better. <laughs> you're better as a result of friendship. Two are better than one. Or another way to think about it, one is worse than two. Okay? Two are better than one. You are better off. You get to enjoy the good life when you enjoy friendship. In fact, that word there in verse 9 where it says better is the verse, the, sorry, the word that is used in Genesis when God was creating the world. And every day as he reflected upon what he had made, he looked at it and said, it is tav, it is good. And now here we're told that if you want to know what the good life is as God intends it, it's two-ness. It's two-ness. It's not oneness, it's two-ness. That the good life is a shared life. Two are better than one. You know, you see this easily with kids. When your kids especially are young and a little less complicated and more simple, um, little kids, when you take them to a playground, what do they naturally do but they seek out others to share the experience with? Even if it's you, (laughs) right? Well, children naturally get this, that to enjoy something The enjoyment is increased if I share the enjoyment with somebody else. What's better than riding this uh, swing but enjoying it with somebody else, right? What's better than reading this book, having somebody else read the story with me? The children naturally, in their simplicity, see the goodness of shared experiences. That, That this is what friendship does. It makes everything better. That even as it says here in Ecclesiastes, that when you have a friend, you have... Better hands because you have more hands to help you, right? You have two brains, not one brain. You have two of everything, and so all of life is better. But it also says, if you go back to verse 7, verses 7 and 8, it says also friends make us happier. That it says if all your life is characterized by work and you lose your family, you're going to be miserable. You're not going to be happy. There's going to be no enjoyment in that. That if you're, meant, if you're going to enjoy happiness, you're going to have to have 
friendship. That literally, the point of Ecclesiastes partly is money can't buy you happiness, but friends can sure go a long way. (laughs) That's pretty much the message of Ecclesiastes. That friends help us to enjoy happiness. What's better than a great dinner? Dinner with friends, right? What's better than an awesome vacation? Vacation with friends, right? What's, What's better than going through a very sorrowful moment, being able to share your sorrow with a friend? What's better than just being frustrated with your spouse? Sharing your frustrations with your friend, (laughs) right? It's awesome. (laughs) But friendship makes us happier, and without friendship, the Bible literally says you're going to be miserable. You're not going to enjoy life as you were meant to enjoy it. I was reminded of this recently. I went to the uh, Covenant College graduation ceremonies back in May because my wife made me. And, and I, saw, uh, I saw a number of tears. Now, I went because I love the institution. Uh, I, I saw a number of tears. Uh, and I you know, was sitting there probably not as uh, empathetic as I should have been and uh, more or less analyzing why everybody's crying. And... And I thought to myself, you know, why do people cry at these kind of things? And it was mostly students I saw. And I thought, you know, it's probably not because they're going to miss their professors. No offense, Sandy. They're probably not going to miss their professors. You know, I'm sure they enjoy them, but they'll move on to find other mentors in life. And I thought, you know, it's probably not because they're going to miss the layout of the dorm room and the amenities, right? They're not going to miss that air conditioning system and all these things they have come to love so much. No, they're going to miss the relationships, right? They know they're saying goodbye to some people with whom they have shared an experience. And in sharing that experience has made their life happier. And now they face the prospect of going forth into the world to share that experience and they're not sure with who. Friends make us happier. They make us happier when we have midterms, when we have papers, when we have books we don't want to read, that when we can share these experiences with others, we are happier people. But it also says in Ecclesiastes 4 that friends make us stronger. Literally, they make us stronger. It says not only two are better than one, but if you go down to verse 12, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. That a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. That part of the problem is that if we don't invest in friendships, we are literally weaker for it. We are weaker for it. In fact, friendship makes us stronger in weird ways because what does a proverb say again? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Even when our friends wound us, they make us stronger. That friendship makes us stronger. Uh, I, I said earlier that in the Bible... There was a friendship that was stronger than marriage, and that was the friendship of David and Jonathan. That David has been anointed king, is trying to assume his rightful place on the throne of Israel, but he's being chased all over, and his life is being sought out by Saul. And Jonathan and him, because of their shared experience, form a friendship. And we're told in 1 Samuel 18, verse 1, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. But then, even after you, you read through 1 Samuel and all they experienced, you go to 2 Samuel, in the first chapter, David says this about Jonathan. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of a woman. 
that they found that in this friendship they had something that they never quantified, took vows about, or anything, but it was stronger than what seems to us to be the strongest sort of relationship possible, the marriage relationship. That friends literally make us stronger. Jonathan literally made David stronger. He defended him. But friends do that, that when we, they are allies for us. They are people who will advocate for us, maybe when we don't deserve an advocate. But they are people who will watch out for us, tell us where our weak spots are, and complement us with strengths of their own. You know, uh, I read uh, uh, about running. Uh, I try, sometimes I act like a runner, and so sometimes I try to read about running. And I read that you can run, tw- you typically run 20% faster when you run with another person or with a group than you do on your own. That literally just the shared dynamic, people are pushing you further without even saying anything, right? Just the, the idea of, of having this experience together, trying to keep up with each other, makes you go faster. I was reminded of this. Uh, I went to visit a longtime friend of mine in California a few months ago. His name is Tom. Tom and I, on face value, don't have much in common whatsoever, but God had made us friends 20 years ago during college, and we've remained friends since. So we sought to catch up over a weekend in the Bay Area, and we decided to go explore San Francisco for a day. So we started off, if you know the geography of San Francisco at all, we started off at Union Square, and we decided to go walk, do a little foot exploration of the city. We walked through Chinatown. We walked down to the pier. We got to the pier, and we thought, oh, the marina looks lovely. Let's walk over to the marina. We got to the marina, we thought, you know, that Golden Gate Bridge doesn't look that far off. So we decided, I've never walked on the Golden Gate, I've driven over it a number of times, so let's walk to the Golden Gate, let's walk over the Golden Gate. We got to the Golden Gate, and I used this little device invented in the Bay Area called the iPhone to to see how far we had walked. And we had walked seven and a half miles. Seven and a half miles. I've never walked seven and a half miles in my life. I'm what you would call an indoorsy person. And I wasn't dressed for the occasion. I wasn't equipped for the occasion. But you know what? I loved every minute of it. And it it was partly because of the beauty and novelty of where I was. But part of it was just enjoying the experience of this friendship together and talking about our lives and catching up. By the way, we had to decide whether we were going to take Uber back or our feet back. (laughs) And we chose our feet. We don't make good decisions with friends at times, (laughs) but we make decisions with our friends. But we did, and by God's grace, we arrived back. But we do things with friends. We go further than we would ever gone by ourselves. We, We explore things we would never explore. We envision possibilities we would never have envisioned. And so what does it mean to be a friend? It means to have somebody who lets you in, refuses to let you go, who makes you better, who makes you happier, who makes you stronger. You know, I'm not a sociologist, but if I, from where I see the world, I would have to say that I don't think America's in a great moment when it comes to friendship. I'll be honest with you. You may not share that conclusion, but that's my observation. That in other words, I don't think friendship is as uh, precious in American society or valuable as it once was, which is ironic since we use the term more than ever, right? Friends. (laughs) thanks to Facebook. But I I would say we are a people who enjoy a number of permanently casual connections and yet not enough meaningful friendships. 
that we have opportunity for a lot of permanently casual connections. We have tons of acquaintances, but we are starved of friends. In fact, uh, Bono, uh, speaking of the iPhone, uh, when the U2 iPod came out in 2004, kids, look it up, it happened. There was a special iPod that came out in 2004 called the U2 iPod. It was black. Yeah, go look it up. It's crazy times, 2004. (laughs) But it came preloaded with every U2 song on it. And in it was a note from Bono. And the note said this, the hardest thing to do is to stick together. His little note, the hardest thing to do is to stick together, whether you're a family or a band. And he actually says, or friends. He says, it's like having to resist gravity. He says, and the alternative is too predictable. You empty your life of the people you need most. And in our society, unfortunately, I'm fearful for myself, for my children, for my grandchildren, that we empty our lives of the people we need most. You know, just as I was thinking about this text and this morning, I got three things keep coming to my mind that, uh, about friendship that I think are worth thinking about, further consideration. Just three practical issues that we have to be mindful of in our context. First of all, you can't be friends with everyone. That seems like that shouldn't have to be said, but you can't be. Jesus was not friends with everyone. You can be friendly to everyone, right? (laughs) Hopefully. We're Southerners. We've mastered that art. Um, You can be friendly to everyone, but you can't be friends with everyone. You can't share your love and loyalty with everyone, expect it to maintain its value. It doesn't. But also another issue that came to my mind, and this may sadden some of you, is that you can't make friends. (laughs) Or think of another way. Literally, you cannot manufacture friends. You cannot look across the room this morning, pick out a random person and say, you know what, they're going to be my friend. That's going to be my friend. I'm going to go over there after the service. We're going to be best friends the rest of our life. End up loyalty. It's all happening. That, you can't do that, right? There is something very unintentional about friendship in terms of its formation. That as C.S. Lewis says, you can't make friends, but you can discover them. And that's what happens. You discover them. You typically discover them because of a shared experience you have, like college, camp, something like that. You share an experience together. You share a place together, work, the neighborhood. You lived next door to each other. You also may share a common purpose, a hobby together, right? You can can share triathlon training or whatever it may be that brings you into proximity and you form a friendship. But you discover friends. You don't make friends. But there's a third thing, too, that as I began thinking about it, I, th- I think maybe I'm susceptible and have experienced this, so I'll share it with you whether or not it relates to you. But you cannot put all the pressures of friendship upon your marriage. In other words, God certainly made you to enjoy a friendship type of relationship with your spouse. Should there be intimacy in marriage? Yes. Should there be loyalty in marriage? Yes. So in that sense, marriage is a type of friendship. Even more formal, right? There's vows and all these other things that take place. But there's a very real sense in which some of us, without even realizing it, try or just expect to get all the things we really want out of friendship out of this one person. In fact, I've traveled the world, and America's the only place I know where people brag that their spouses are their best friends. I'm not against that. I think that's awesome if that happens. 
But sometimes I feel like we put that pressure on to make that the case. And in fact, I would say even if you have a great relationship with your spouse, that sort of best friend relationship, that you were still made to enjoy other relationships that have a sort of strength of intimacy and loyalty to them. That in other words, we ask out of one person what God intended us to get out of multiple people. And so sometimes we place too much pressure on our spouse to deliver all the things we want out of friendship. But if friendship makes us better, happier, and stronger, what does it mean to be God's friend? If that's what it means to be a friend, what does it mean to be God's friend? Well, it means the similar, similar to what we've already seen. That what has happened is that God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world in order to let us into his shared life. In order to let us in so that we could share life with him. That God has come, and by the way, voluntarily chosen of his own accord to let us into his life. And having let us in, he refuses to let us go. That this is what we find in God. That God sends his son so that we can be let in. And having let us in, he refuses to let us go. How was Abraham described? It says in the Bible, Abraham was justified by faith and he was called the friend of God. Even Moses, we're told in Exodus 33, verse 11, that God spoke with Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. And of course, even as I've already alluded to, John 15, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he says, no greater love is there than this. A man lays down his life for his friends. And then Jesus looks at his disciples and says, I call you my friends. That there is truth to the old hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus. We want somebody like Sam Wise, right? We want somebody who will let us in and refuse to let us go, and and we have that in Jesus Christ. That he is the friend that sticks closer than the brother. He is the friend that knows absolutely everything about us and has yet to get freaked out and run out of the room and move on, right? That Jesus sticks closer than a brother. That Jesus even inflicts faithful wounds into our life. That he, God is our Father, we are his children. But the Bible says that we also need to think of ourselves as his friends. There's a very real issue in this room this morning if the statistics are right. And the issue is this. One out of every four people in America feel like they don't have any friend like the one described in the Bible. Like, one in four people feel like they don't have somebody that really knows them and that they can turn to at any given time. One in four. That's pretty startling. So there's a lot of lonely people there. And maybe you're one of them this morning. Maybe as you hear friendship described, they, for you it is sorrow. Because you, as you look at yourself, see friendlessness. And the Bible has some good news for you. Jesus knows friendlessness that in the moment when he needed his friends the most jesus was forsaken and in fact people went up to his best friend his bff 
Peter and said, hey, as Jesus was being tortured, hey, aren't, aren't you friends with that guy? To which Peter, don't know him. Don't know him. Doesn't look familiar to me. That if you've been betrayed by friends, if you felt abandoned by friends, if you felt friendless, Jesus identifies with you. Jesus knows, Jesus is a friend to the friendless because he himself has endured friendlessness as we do and can sympathize with us in our weakness and even in our sorrow. But Jesus brings us good news that God really truly wants to be our friend. He wants to let us in and he promises he'll never let us go. You know, friendship is important. It is hard to quantify what I'm going to get out of friendship. But the Bible tells me to believe I'm going to be happier, better, and stronger, that I'm going to even appreciate my relationship with God more as a result of understanding and appreciating friendship. But, you know, where I find friendship even more meaningful is when I read Paul's letters. And, you know, there's a part of every letter Paul wrote that we all skip over in our minds, even if our eyes don't. And that is the end of his letters. Well, what does he do? But he names his friends. He says, you know, would you do me a favor? Would you thank so-and-so? Because they were a friend to me when nobody else was. And, by the way, the Apostle Paul struggled with friendship because we know that he kicked off one of his friends from his entourage, uh, John Mark, because he believed John Mark was not loyal enough, that he abandoned him. And so Paul said that the friendship just couldn't continue. And so even those within one generation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ struggled with this thing that we call friendship. But even in Paul's own life, we see why they're needed. Paul the apostle was not the lone zealot running across the countryside. He, was a, he had a tribe. He had friends that went with him that made it possible. I will not come who I am meant to be, and you will not become whom you are meant to be apart from friends. You will not enjoy life as God intends you to enjoy it apart from friends. They will multiply your joys and they will divide your sorrows. That we need these sorts of friendships. In fact, I was listening to a podcast this past week by one of the major venture capitalists out in Silicon Valley who was explaining to a group of people what he looks for when he looks for opportunities to invest in. He says, I look at the team. I have never invested in any business in which it's one person with one idea, right? He says, that's fool's money, that I have to look and be convinced that, there's, that they have people around them that can make this be possible. And that's true in our own lives. We, we would be fools to try it alone, to go it alone, to become the self-made man, that person that never has existed. But we need more friendships like Ruth and Naomi. For somebody to look us in the eye and say or just make it known, wherever you go, I will go. That maybe some of you have had that pleasure and maybe some of you want that pleasure. But the good news for us this morning, it is the reality for us in Jesus Christ. That he is a friend to us and he has made it possible for us to be friends with God. And so as Ecclesiastes says, The good life is the shared life as we share it with Christ and as we share it with one another. Pray with me. Gracious Father in heaven, we we give you thanks 
that you would give us the privilege of being called your friends. Father, we, we need to appreciate that more and all the depths that come with it. And so help us, we pray. But we pray, help us in a culture of permanently casual connections to be able to dive in and enjoy some meaningful friendships. And, and even if the simplest thing we need to do today, help us to do it to thank those who have let us in or refused to let us go, if it be our spouse or be someone else. We pray, would you help us to believe in and invest in the sanctity of friendship, and may it be to the end that we would know what it means to have Christ look at us and say, I call you friends. We ask this in his name. Amen.